Well, let's bow our heads and let's join our hearts together in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that we've just been singing that remind us that you open your hand and you supply your people with all that we need to live our lives. We thank you that you give us our daily bread. We thank you that every morning for us, your people, you grant us new mercies because great is your faithfulness. And we need your mercy each and every single day. We thank you, O God, that your grace is all sufficient, that your power is made perfect for us in our weakness. And we thank you, God, that you have given us everything we need through our relationship with your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray, O God, that as we seek to live out the life that you've called us to, that our lives would be led in a manner worthy of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that our lives would bring the fragrance and the presence of Jesus everywhere we go. We pray that you would put the name of Jesus upon our lips, that you would fill all of, you would make all of our con- conversations edifying and upbuilding, encouraging and comforting. And even in those moments where we need to speak truth, that we would do so in love one to the other. God, our Father, we are so thankful to you that you have promised through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We thank you for the way that you're building your church in our land, and we thank you, Lord, for this congregation here. We thank you, Lord, for its many years of faithful witness, of gospel proclamation, of the teaching of your word, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, of the gathering of the saints to pray. And Lord, we pray that in these days of vacancy that you would shepherd your people. You would lead them to the under-shepherd of your choosing. We pray that the chief shepherd would have his will, that you would provide them with a man of God, a man who has the, whose heart is after the Lord, who's burdened with a, a care for the lost, who's burdened with a care for the flock of God, and who's burdened, Lord, to minister from your word faithfully so that your people may be built up in their holy faith, equipped for works of ministry, and a minister who delights to hold out the unsearchable riches of Christ so that those who are perishing may find life and life in its full in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that in these days of vacancy that you would bind this congregation together in cords of love that cannot be broken. We pray, O God, that you would encourage them, that you would speak to them Lord's Day by Lord's Day. We pray that you would bless all of the ongoing ministries of this church, even now, Lord, in the Sunday school. We pray for the young covenant children of this congregation. We pray that as they hear the gospel, as they hear the truths of your word, that they would be built up that their testimonies collectively would be, there's never been a day where they did not know uh, you, O God, as their God and your Son as their Savior and your Spirit as their Comforter. God, we pray for all the parents in this congregation who seek to uh, bring up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Lord, provide them with all that they need. When they are weary and when they are tired, we pray you would lift up dripping arms and hands and that Lord you would give them the strength that they need we pray that together as a family of faith that even the oldest would be such an encouragement to the youngest just with a smile and a greeting and a continued heart of prayer and care 
God our Father, we would pray too that you would, um, in these days, uh, build up your church in this city. We thank you for the Merkinch. We see the great need that there is for a, a church there. And we thank you for the ministry of Chris Davidson. We thank you that today they celebrate one year of gathering as a congregation. And so we pray, O oh God, that you would pour out your spirit upon Chris and all of the saints there. Use that church as they reach out to the lost, the last and the least. Lord, uh, we pray for those whose lives are in bondage to sin, who are living in darkness, that their eyes would be opened to see the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would be made alive by your spirit, that they would be born again uh, to a new and to a living hope. God, our Father, we pray for Givino this morning. We lift him up to your care. We thank you for our brother. We pray that your healing and your upholding hand would sustain him at this time. We remember his family and we remember the con congregation of Eventon. And we pray, Lord, as they gather, as the saints gather there, that you would be pleased to bless them and encourage them through the ministry of your word and through the singing of your praises. Oh God, we thank you that we can cast our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. And we thank you that you always hear and answer in accordance with your glorious will. We pray that all things would be to the praise of your glorious grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you do have a copy of God's Word there, I'd invite you to turn back to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to just spend a few moments considering Paul's pastoral prayer for the church, or churches there in Ephesus. Let me just say, we, we reckon that this letter that Paul wrote wasn't just a, a letter to one congregation. It was most likely a, le a circular letter to the presbytery of Ephesus. Paul had planted a church in Ephesus, but he does not speak with a familiarity to the people. He speaks in very general tones in this letter. And so this letter presumably was written for a group of house churches in that great uh, city of Ephesus. Paul begins this letter by, with his breathtaking beginning, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Paul begins this letter by saying, because of our union with Jesus Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we might ask, what are those spiritual blessings? Well, Paul goes on to enumerate them. In verse 3, he says that we, four, he says we were chosen in Jesus before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. In verse 5, he says, in love, we were predestined. He says as well that we were adopted. In verse 7, he says we have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus. We have the forgiveness of our sins. In verse 8, he says, he has lavished us with the riches of his grace, with all wisdom and insight. And in verses 11 through 14, he says, what is more, we have been given the Holy Spirit as the deposit, as the guarantee of our glorious inheritance. And it's in light of Paul unpacking all of our blessings in our union with Christ, that he's then led to pray for the saints in Ephesus. He says, every time I pray for you, I do not cease to give thanks, remembering you in my prayers, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. But what Paul says is, we don't need a, a head knowledge about Jesus. We need a heart knowledge. We need spiritual insight. We need the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation so that we may know Jesus better. And in particular, what he prays is that the eyes of our hearts would see what is ours in Christ. It's fascinating. Paul does not pray for new blessings. He prays that the Christians in Ephesus would have eyes to see what they have in Jesus Christ. Some of you, will, uh, presumably all of you, will know the name Rupert Murdoch. He is the leading media mogul of our world on Sky News, Fox News. He, he owns most news broadcast stations in the world. He is a, a multi-millionaire, if not billionaire. Uh, well, before he was the media mogul of the world, there was a man in the uh, early 20th century by the name of William Randolph Hearst, and he was the media mogul. In fact, he, he's a guy who put into place the way that newspapers are published. And as a result of his um, newspaper publishing companies, he became a multi-millionaire. And he bought mansions all across America. He amassed a great amount of material uh, wealth. In fact, his favorite pastime was to collect antiques. He was well known for buying paintings from Europe from the 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th century. He loved to come to Britain to buy grandfather clocks. He loved to visit the Middle East and places like Syria to buy rugs and carpets and china for vases. In fact, he had so much possessions that he had to build storehouses just to contain them all. One day he was reading one of his antique collector magazines and he said there was a painting and every collector in the world was looking to find this painting. No one knew where it was, but it was, the, it was like the, the, the golden piece that everybody wanted in their collection. So Mr. Hearst picked up his phone. He phoned his agent, and he said to his agent, listen, I'll give you all the money and all the time it takes, but you're going to find that painting for me. So offset set his agent. Days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. And then finally, there was a knock at Mr. Hearst's door. It was his agent. And he had a huge smile on his face. He said, sir, I found it. I found the painting you're looking for. And Mr. Hearst asked him, where in the world did you find it? He said, sir, you are never going to believe this. I've spent a lot of your money. I've traveled the whole world. And that painting was in one of your storehouses. <laughs> Mr. Hearst had that painting, but because he failed to take the time to enjoy it and appreciate it, he didn't know he had it. And that true story is a modern parable of what you and I are like as Christians. You see, in our union with Jesus Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. But because we do not take the time to enjoy and appreciate what we have. We've stored it away in the storehouse of our hearts. We need Paul's prayer, his pastoral prayer, that the eyes of our hearts would see what we have in Jesus Christ. Paul prays for three things. Verses 18 and 19, he prays, number one, that the eyes of our hearts would see the hope to which he has called us, 
Number two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And number three, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? So he prays that we'd see the hope, the riches, and the power that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So number one, can I ask you this question? Do the eyes of your heart see the hope that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know the hope to which he has called you? Do you live as a person of hope? As we think about hope, we need to define what hope is. And sometimes the best way to define what something is is to say what it is not. So hope is not wishful thinking. So I hope tomorrow is going to be a scorcher of a day. That's wishful thinking in Scotland, right? But biblical hope is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result. Let me say that again. Biblical hope is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result. So what we have in Jesus Christ is absolutely certain, even though we don't presently have it. Future glory, perfection, life in his presence. We've got life in its abundance now, but we don't have the fullness of his salvation. That will come at the last. And the reason why we can live with hope is because of the past event that is the resurrection. Because Jesus Christ triumphed over the grave, defeated death, had paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, just as he rose from the dead, so too you and I who believe in Jesus, our future hope is that we too will raise from the dead. Death will not hold us. But even though that's our future hope based on the past event, The Apostle Peter makes clear it is to impact our present lives. This is a living hope, a hope that's got to impact us in the here and now. And so my question is, do you live as a person of hope? And I suppose the real question is, do the eyes of your heart see the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? Or have you taken this great blessing that you have and have you stored it away in the storehouse of your heart and you've forgotten that you even have it? One of the best ways to illustrate biblical hope is to, is to think of a nursing home. So when I was 18, I lived uh, in a little village and I worked in the local chemist, Boots the Chemist. And across from the chemist I, I worked in uh, was a nursing home. And in that nursing home was my late grandfather. And I would visit him in my lunch breaks. And uh, you know what it's like when you go into a nursing home. <laughs> They're always like roasting hot. And all the guests, all the residents are there in the, the main hall. And some of the old ladies are playing dominoes. And the old men are watching a snooker or reading a book. Well, I used to walk in and my, my grandfather was always in the middle of the old ladies. And he was always fast asleep. <laughs> And so I'd pull up a chair, and all the old ladies would notice me. They would see my uniform, and they would say, Oh, you work in the chemist? You know, when I was a little girl, that chemist used to be a flower shop. And then they would instantly begin telling me their whole life story. You know, I went to that school along the road just like you did, and, you know, um, the head teacher back then was Mr. So-and-so, and he would give me the, the, the cane, and they'd tell me, you know, when I left school, I became a, ty- a typist, I married Bill, 
Bill was a minor. And literally, they would walk me through their entire story. I've got five children. Four of them are all across the world. One of them lives nearby. It's the only one I ever see. And you know, as as they told me their life story, and as it grew closer and closer to the present, their story would become more and more hopeless. They would see that I've got my uniform on for bits of chemistry. They'd say, you know, I'm in so many drugs, I keep your chemist in business. You know, I've been in here for 10 years, and it's only my daughter that lives nearby that comes to visit me. I've got grandchildren that I've never met. And I remember as a young guy just sitting there and think, feeling in my, the gut of my stomach just utterly hopeless. And often what would happen is one of the carers would spot that I had been in there 20 minutes, knowing that I probably had a 30-minute lunch break, and so they'd come over and they'd say, listen, let's wake up your grandfather. We'll, we'll take him through to his room and you can spend the last 10 minutes with him. And my, my grandfather was an old godly man, and often those 10 minutes were the most precious 10 minutes I ever had. He was nearing the very end. He was approaching glory. And those 10 minutes, he would always spend it reading the Bible and praying with me. And I'll never forget it. He could barely lift his head, but his little eyes would sparkle as he would say to me, Andrew, I cannot wait to see Jesus. I cannot wait to be in glory. Do you know what that is? That is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result. Jesus means what he says, and he says what he means. All who believe in him shall live forevermore. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, we have a hope that will not put us to shame, a hope that will not disappoint. I reckon there's many of us who have put our hope in a person, maybe a spouse, maybe a parent, maybe a child, and they've let us down. I reckon there's others of us that would put hope in circumstances, hoping that circumstances would work out in a certain way, and they didn't, and it's let us down. Some of us have put hope in medicine, technology, and it's let us down. Put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will never, ever, ever let you down. Biblical hope is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result. And so I've got to ask the question, do you see in Jesus this glorious treasure, this glorious blessing that you possess? Paul prays that that the eyes of your heart this morning would be open to see the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Hope should change the way we look at the world, the way we look at Hilton and Castle Heather. Do we have hope for the people who live around here, who are dead in their sins and without a saviour? Because the gospel is good news for those who are lost, good news for those who are blind, good news for those who are dead, because the gospel, Jesus Christ, can make those who are dead live and those who are blind see. You have hope for those children who you baptized in faith, take pro- trusting in a promise-making, promise-keeping God. Do you have hope for this church? And is your hope rooted and grounded on the God who promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church? Like you read the scriptures and you discover we've got every reason to live as people of hope. 
tragedy of many of us Christians is that we, we live more with worry and anxiety. You can listen to a sermon like this this morning, wake up tomorrow morning, and as you wake up, the eyes of your hearts are just filled with the worries of the week. Paul would say, I'm praying so that you would wake up tomorrow morning and your eyes would be filled with the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Point number two, Paul prays that the Christians in Ephesus, and he prays that the eyes of our hearts would be filled with the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So I need to ask you, do you live as a person who's rich? You are rich. Oh, you are so rich if you are in Jesus Christ this morning. You are rich beyond anything you could ever imagine or conceive. Do you live as you are in Jesus Christ? That's what Paul said back in verse 7 when he was unpacking the blessings. He says, we According to verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. So God has lavished on us, heaped on us, poured upon us his, the riches of his grace, the riches of his undeserved love and kindness. Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would see the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. It was not long ago, well, it was a long time ago now, but I was uh, reading an article, and it was when, uh, now, actually, King Charles's uh, grandson was born, George. But it was the time when the, the Queen was still alive, her great-grandson. And the article said that when George becomes king, he will be set to inherit somewhere in the region of a billion pounds. If you add up all the estates of the crown, if you add up all of the legacies and the endowments that he'll be given from other royal families, if you add up every single thing that he will have responsibility over, he will have somewhere in the region of a billion pounds when he becomes king, if not more with inflation. And I read that article and I thought to myself, why in the world was I not born into a royal family? And then I remembered, I've been born again. I've been born again into a family where I have an inheritance that will never spoil, fade, or perish because it's kept in heaven for me and is protected by God's power, as 1 Peter chapter 1 says. I have an inheritance through Jesus Christ that is beyond compare, beyond comparison. Buckingham Palace, Balmoral, they'll rot. Money can't take it to glory. But the love of God in Jesus Christ that I have been lavished with, which you've been lavished with if you're in Christ, well, you are exceedingly, abundantly rich. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He who was rich, Jesus. He who was worshipped and adored by the angels in glory. He who lived in the bliss of eternity with the Father and the Spirit, he who was rich became poor. That is, he entered this sin-sick, dark world. He was born in the stench and the squalor of a borrowed stable. Foxes of, hole, birds, foxes of holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. He grew up as an asylum seeker in Egypt. His mum and dad, his mum and Joseph, the stepdad, didn't even have enough to 
when, when it was to present him at the temple to give a lamb, so they had to offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. He who was rich became poor so that through his poverty, so that when he died on the cross, he took in himself the spiritual bankruptcy of all of his people so that they might become rich. (laughs) If you are in Christ this morning, if you are united to Christ, you have been lavished with riches beyond anything you can imagine. And it's the riches of God's kindness. It's a love that you did not deserve, a love that you did not earn, and a love that you you, you cannot merit. And it's staggering how Paul actually words it in Ephesians chapter 1. He says that he prays that the eyes of our hearts would be opened to the riches of his glorious inheritance. Do you know what our inheritance is as Christians? Do you know what you're set to inherit? Jesus. In fact, Paul has just said in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 through 14, God is your inheritance and this is how you know it. He's given you his Holy Spirit, who is the deposit, who is the guarantee that you'll get what he's given. If you're a Christian here this morning, you've been given the Holy Spirit, and this is just the the down payment, the preparation for that which is to come. You and I, who are in Christ, are set to inherit life evermore with God. And the most unfathomable thing is that the inheritance that God has given his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is his people in this world and the new creation, he loves. It's you and me. Well, Paul's prayed that the eyes of our hearts would see the riches that we have, the hope that we have. If that were not enough, he says, one more thing I need to pray for. I need to pray that the eyes of your hearts would see the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Like, if it were not enough that you've got hope and you've got riches, he says, you need to know you've got more than Jesus. You've got every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. But Paul says, as the wise pastor, I know I need to pray that you would see the power that you have in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And just notice the way that he he layers words upon words, the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. Like what I've said in the first two things, that's mind-blowing, but what I'm about to say in this point is mind-bending. Because do you know how God has given us his power? Through his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit has taken up residence in our hearts. If you're in Christ this morning, your body has become a temple of the living God. God dwells within you by his Holy Spirit. And that means that God's power is powerfully at work within you. In fact, after Paul says what he says in verse 19, he goes on in verses 20 to say, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead on the resurrection day is the same Spirit that indwells you and me. The same Spirit that conquered the grave is the same Spirit that is now at operation, has taken up residence within us who are Christians. So if you get your Bible there, you could turn one page, you could look at 
Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. God's power is powerfully at work within us. Sometimes we, we say rightly that we are powerless to do anything in our, in our lives. You're, you're powerless when it comes to salvation. You could not do one thing to save yourself. In, in relation to God, by nature, in Adam, we are like a corpse, unable to do anything. But see, the moment you become a Christian, there's a sense in which you're not powerless. You've been empowered by God to live the Christian life. You, you read every verse regarding the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, and you'll see that the Holy Spirit's been given to us for the very specific purpose to enable us to live the Christian life. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. Holy Spirit has been given to us to make us witnesses to the ends of the earth. Romans chapter 8, the glorious chapter actually of the, on the Holy Spirit. We live our lives in the Holy Spirit. He has set us free from the law of sin and death. We live our lives in the Holy Spirit. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we put to death our sin and we live unto righteousness. How do we pray? In the Holy Spirit. When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes on the throne of our hearts. He takes the things that we could never put into words, the groans and the sighs, and he prays to the throne of heaven. It's by the Holy Spirit that we are led to cry out to God, Abba, Father. You know, in pastoral ministry, you know, you can't say this for every single incident, but I've had the privilege of being with someone who's nearing the end. It's been remarkable to see this special grace in their life where it's like they live a life that you, humanly speaking, could never imagine them living. And it's a life of hope and confidence and joy, even when all the circumstances are difficult. It's what Paul speaks about, you know, outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Why is that the case? Because the Holy Spirit is at work within us. So can I ask you this question? Do the eyes of your hearts see the power that you have in Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit? Let me bring this sermon together and end with one story. I love history. and uh, I grew up in the south of Glasgow, but at the end of the 19th century, there was a young boy called John, and he lived in Renfrewshire, north of Glasgow. And when he was a wee boy, he went out to the fields to play. And in those days, there was such a thing called free church field preachers. Right? We talk about street preachers, but field preachers were back in vogue back in those days. And a young John heard the gospel preached by this free church preacher, and he was gloriously saved. Now, John didn't become a free church minister. He became a Baptist minister in Glasgow. And he got married. And him and his wife had a, a little girl. And all was going well in ministry in Glasgow. And then tragedy struck his home. His beloved wife died. And so John, Pastor John, had to move into his home, his sister, to help him raise his daughter. 
And in the early 20th century, he got a telegram from America. John was a very gifted preacher. And this telegram from America said, we're inviting you to come and preach at Moody Church, Chicago, probably one of the largest churches in America at the time. The church, the Baptist church in America that everyone knew about. And uh, Pastor John said, let's go. If this is where God's calling us, if this is where God's leading us, let's go. And so he went and he bought tickets for the maiden voyage of the Titanic to the United States of America. And you know the story of the Titanic better than I do. How on the 15th of April, 1912, it struck the iceberg. The ship that was unsinkable sunk. True story. That night, on the, when the alarm was raised on the Titanic, Pastor John Harper was heard running to the deck and he shouted at the top of his voice, every woman and child, an unbelieving man aboard those lifeboats. And every believing man, every, belie every believer on this boat, step back. This ship is going down, but we men tonight are going up. Do you know what that is? That's a man whose eyes were wide open to the hope that he had in Jesus Christ. That is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result. He turned to the orchestra on board the ship. There was panic everywhere, and he said to them, Play nearer, my God, to thee. As the Titanic was going down, that was what was being played. Nearer, my God, to thee. That's hope. Well, as the... Titanic began its plunge into the icy cold Atlantic Ocean. John Harper jumped overboard. He had a life jacket. He managed to get hold of a piece of debris. True story. As he is there in the freezing cold Atlantic, people are jumping over the ship and they are, no life jacket, they are perishing. They are screaming. They are flailing. It was said Pastor John Harper was preaching. The boy who was converted by a field preacher had become himself a sea preacher. And he was holding out the unsearchable riches that are in Jesus Christ. He was preaching, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There was a man who jumped overboard. He didn't have a life jacket. John Harper grabbed him, put him onto the piece of debris that he was also holding onto. Pastor Harper took off his life jacket, put it on this man. And he said to the man, can you imagine this, right? You are, you are perishing. You're freezing cold. And he is, turns to the man and said, have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? And the man actually said to him, no. Pastor John Harper pled with him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That night, John Harper passed the glory. How in the world did he manage to preach the unsearchable riches in Christ in that water? Because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because the eyes of his heart were wide open to the riches that he in Christ, and the eyes of his heart were wide open to the power that was his in Christ. Six years later, there was a reunion of all the survivors of the Titanic in Ontario, Canada. 
And that man who got saved that night stood up and said, I am the last convert of Pastor John Harper. He saved me twice. He gave me his life jacket. And then he told me about my greatest need, Jesus Christ, and to believe in him. And now I'm saved for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, are the eyes of your hearts wide open to what you have in Jesus Christ? Or are you like Mr. Randolph Hearst? Have you taken the treasures, the blessings that are yours, and have you hidden them in the storehouse of your heart? And have you, are you failing to appreciate them and enjoy them? And if you're here this morning and you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. He is rich in love and rich in mercy. And that richness is seen in full display at the cross of Jesus Christ. Every sin forgiven. A new life given forevermore. Let's pray. Our glorious Father, we thank you for this amazing pastoral prayer and we pray that the truth of it would be true for us, that you would open the eyes of our hearts by your Spirit, that you would grant us spiritual insight to see what is ours in our union with Christ. Lord, we pray too that you would, by your Spirit, cause those here this morning who are not alive to be born again, and may they come to discover the wonder of salvation in Christ Jesus. And it is, and it is in his name we pray this. Amen.